Welcome to the She Shall Speak series. I'm your host, Denia Smith. We are excited to kick off the second episode of our Her Story series, a collection of stories of young Black women and girls who are leading the way for positive social change in their communities. Today, we'll be talking to Deborah Olatunji, a 19-year-old Nigerian-American storyteller, writer, and visual artist from Delaware. Deborah, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Hello, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, Like you said, I'm 19, Nigerian-American. I currently go to the University of Pennsylvania. I'm studying psychology and comparative literature. Um, But ultimately, one of the two words that I use to describe myself that encompass everything that I do are storyteller and igniter. And igniter just means that in every space that I go into, I seek to listen, I seek to learn, and I also seek to help people and empower people to understand and like discover new things about themselves through my own discovery of my own passions and story. That sounds great. Thank you so much for that incredible introduction. And I'm really excited to kick off this conversation. So based upon hearing your introduction and also previewing your website, it's evident that you have an immense passion for education reform and also empowering young people to be the leaders that we need today to catalyze change on various social issues. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about where that passion came from and how you really became a change maker. Yeah, I would definitely say that it's been a slow burn as opposed to like something that I discovered quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that I've loved about the change making process and even and how my different interests have changed over the past few years Um, with education reform. It was when I was a sophomore in high school. I was really frustrated with the education system, really bored, and I wanted to find things that would stimulate my interest and also help me feel more connected to my community because I lived half an hour away from my high school and like did different extracurricular activities like track and field and ran a couple of clubs. But ultimately what I was searching for in high school was a creative community where I felt like I could share my different interests and different passions while also hearing and platforming other students in my year and even people who were younger than me. And honestly, for the past few years, that has been something that I found. Like one of my friends created a writer circle. And so I find community there with the podcast, the Voices of Disruption that I host. That's a space where I help platform different voices. Um, And more recently, mental health advocacy and education have become the forefront of what I speak on when I talk about education reform, because I think even with the pandemic, like people are realizing now more than ever that our wellness isn't just physical, it's also mental. And school and education is one of the most pivotal places where we can start emphasizing a lot of those values and a lot of those core practices so that students don't feel overwhelmed and burnt out by the process of finding their interests or finding themselves and finding their communities because it can be a very immensely tasking thing. So it started with a problem that I had with education in general, but it has truly blossomed to recognizing the problems with the systems in general, and especially highlighting ways for not just myself to feel more empowered to discover different things, but also to have spaces where people feel like they can share and they can be wrong and they can just learn together instead of always having the answers. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And I believe that's definitely important. And I think one of the most important things about the change making process is just having that community, you know, where you know you can bounce ideas off one another and really work together to not only have a bigger understanding of different social issues, but to also become a better person as you're going through that process. And I oh, believe yeah. that there's definitely themes of that that are expressed in your book called, I believe, Unle- Unleashing Your Innovative Genius. Would you be able to talk to us a little bit more about that? 
Yes, of course. So with my book, baby, and actually my book's second birthday is next week on the 21st. Oh <laughs> yeah, so I'm super excited to celebrate that. But with, um, you got the title right, it was Unleashing Your Innovative Genius, High School Redesigned. Ultimately, the whole goal of the book was to completely reimagine what high school looks like, but not just high school, education. And so I've had friends who are in college and even professors who have read the book and they're like, yes, this is an amazing and incredibly transformative book, not just for the different stories that are in there, but the mindset skills and action items that are in the book. So if you know nothing about education reform or you want to get more into education reform, like I definitely recommend it because it's not just a story of how can we fix education? It's education from a black girl's perspective at a PWI. And I'm still at a PWI. Like I go to the University of Pennsylvania and it's still white and these spaces are white. And so it's like, how do we navigate and reimagine and re build with black voices at the forefront as opposed to just suggestions to the change that is happening and so with um the book i did end up going on tour right before the pandemic before it went virtual but i ended up speaking at a high school and it was so magical like i after i did the speaking event i was like this is exactly where i want to be that was where i didn't have the language um that i have now for how i describe myself and in being an igniter and a storyteller Mm -hmm. but i was like i want to do this for the rest of my life i want to be able to have conversations that matter and to hear from people who are currently going through something like school and the frustrations of school and being a minority at a PWI and be able to truly give them the opportunity to say what they have to say, to hear the different perspectives in the room, but also to imagine together what the future of these systems can look like. So ultimately that's the goal that the book seeks to accomplish. And in many ways, like the reshaping your mindset or like changing different perspectives is something that it strives to do while also acknowledging and honoring the stories that we all naturally have whenever we come to different spaces that we interact with in the schools that we attend. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, as someone who has attended predominantly white and Asian spaces throughout high school, I could definitely attest to the fact that it could really be hard to find those spaces where you can not only like fit in and belong, but also to express your creative viewpoints and to really catalyze change in ways that other people aren't really doing. And at times you can feel like an outcast, but it's evident that through your work, through your book, you're making it so that, you know, that's not an abnormality and that that is something that's normalized. And, you know, of course, being that one person who decides to stand up and, you know, shake things up or be a disruptor, you're bound to encounter some challenges or some roadblocks. So would you be able to describe some of those that you encounter throughout your journey? I think one of the biggest roadblocks that I'm facing right now is just like, different people's resistance to change, but also like anytime someone tries to say like, oh, you're doing this, but you also do this. Like, how do you manage all these different paths? And it's like, you very much have the agency to define yourself however you would like. Mm -hmm. And I strive my hardest to not put myself in a box by, by any means. And even when people ask me like, oh, what are you doing after you graduate? It's like, my focus right now is making sure that I'm around spaces where I feel empowered and heard and I can exist loudly in, especially as a Black woman, as opposed to a specific thing that I'm going to be doing. And so I think one of the challenges has been like encountering people who have different mindsets than you or like mainly because, you know, we all, we are in this society where they're like, oh, this is the pathway. This is the trajectory of things. This is just the way that things go. Instead of thinking, no, how can I change this? Or how can I make this something that is more efficient for myself in the midst of the fact that many people usually don't have that honest conversation with themselves until much later in life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's been like, 
navigating the fact that the knowledge that you continue to learn from other people and continue to learn from the experiences that you have is never going to be knowledge that everyone has. And that doesn't mean you can't interact with people. It just means that you kind of have to have a sense of agency over the dreams and visions that you have and realize that no one else is going to give you the power or like the permission to go after what you want. You kind of have to do that yourself. And hopefully in doing that, you can find people who think the same or who think similarly. So you can build a community of people who feel supported, who can support each other in these different ambitious and entrepreneurial things that you care about. So it's not something that you feel like you're doing alone because it can be very isolating. I can I can definitely say that for podcasting, like it can be hard just starting out. Um, but when you find that community and you find like a group of people who are willing to dream with you, anybody who wants to stay on planet earth instead of taking a chance will just be marveling at how much of a dreamer you guys are. And I think that's a very beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. And in addition to being a person that's really passionate about being in these communities, I also saw that throughout high school, you were a big proponent of creating communities, such as through your creation of the Student Leadership Initiative Program at Grip Tape, two youth organizations that you created that really aim to empower students to give them the resources and materials needed to really take agency over their education and their lives as change makers. Would you be able to talk to us about those two organizations and really the process of creating them? Yeah, I can. So I think I'll start with Grip Tape first and just have like a bit of a correction. So I didn't start Grip Tape. I oh, was my apologies. No, yeah, you're good. I was a board member for four years. No, for two and a half years. Um, but I, I was one of the founding board members for the organization. And Grip Tape essentially is a New York-based education empowerment startup. I mean, organization that seeks to give students $500 from the ages of 15 to 19 to learn whatever they want with complete creative freedom, create complete educational freedom and a champion to guide them along the way. Things may have changed now because I have since left the organization in 2020 of December, but um, a lot of my different perspectives and ideologies on education transformation and youth being in the driver's seat definitely stemmed from having this early exposure to people who were ideating and dreaming about the future of education. Kind of like I was talking about earlier, being in that environment really helped me foster a mindset of of growth and also possibility in terms of what we could do with the future of education and to not think that where we are now is the height that we can go to. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of the Student Leadership Initiative Program or SLIP, that was an organization that I founded with my twin sister Dorcas um, in high school. And ultimately the goal of SLIP was to counter the STEM culture that was at our school mm. because it was a charter school, number one school in the state of Delaware, and a lot of the perspectives that's, that existed there were mainly around what can we do in STEM and how can we continue to follow our STEM interests outside of the classroom. And as someone who considers themselves as both a creative and analytical thinker, I was like, I need a space where I can be creative. And I know that there are other students who also want to be creative too. And so we founded SLIP mainly to have like a system of peer mentorship, but also to allow people to hear from different voices in the community. So we ended up having like the Newcastle County executive at the time, Matt Meyer come and speak. Um, the founder of Carver Ties, his name is Matt Nagaswamy. Um, and it's like different entrepreneurs in different sectors of business and, and innovation to show students like the kinds of possibilities that exist. Like if you're interested in STEM, that's amazing. But if you're not, 
that's incredibly cool. And there's yeah. so many different pathways that you can go through. You should never feel like you have to do something because it's like the most popular thing or because we're trying to get more representation in a field. It should truly be about whether or not you're interested and whether or not you've been exposed to what else is out there. And so that's ultimately what we sought to do. We would tell people about different opportunities that existed, whether that was summer programs or different courses that they could take at neighboring universities or extracurricular activities that weren't connected to the school. And in fostering this community, I think a lot of people realize that, and it's still going to this day, and there's a chapter in Tennessee, um, realize that like there's this possibility for us to think together. And high school isn't just about like where you end up going to college. You can truly meet people who are ideating, who are thinking about the future, who want to develop these different interests. And you can also just have fun. Like I feel like in high school, there's so much pressure to know when honestly there should be more of a push towards not knowing and being curious and being open to all of the different things that you can find out about yourself and your peers because Yes, you may get that opportunity in college, but not everybody goes to college. And the way that high school is right now is very much focused on getting everybody to college as opposed to asking students like, is this something that you really want? And if it's not, what can we show you? And what can we expose you to so that you feel like there's so much more possibilities? Because there are, we just need to introduce you to them. So that was the role of SLIP, honestly, for a lot of students. And the mentorship role like continued throughout. And I still talked to a couple of, people who I had been connected to or mentored when I was in the organization. But now, of course, I am not in the high school, I'm not in high school anymore, um, but it's still running, as I said. And it's really beautiful to look back and see like how we can impact each other. And it reminds me of like how incredibly powerful our relationships are in their capacity to build us and also like destroy us, if we're being honest. That's really intriguing that you bring that up as someone, you know, who is a high school senior is on the verge of making it out the door, but is still in the building. I definitely have realized that high school is really just a push to get into college. And especially considering how the application process is becoming more daunting and competitive every single year, you practically mm -hmm. start high school with that, you know, question in mind, what college do I want to go to? What do I want to major in? And how can I strategically plan my high school career so that I can achieve those goals? And there's nothing wrong with that until it becomes the only central focus point. And students mm -hmm. don't have the opportunity to explore, you know, different intellectual interests and different extracurricular interests. And, you know, I'm someone who unfortunately had to face the bare bone of that simply because it's not that I didn't want to be explorative, but it's because we're all birthed into a culture where that kind of appears to be the only option, which I feel yeah. like why I'm so like inspired by your work and how you're really switching the status quo and making us rethink education and rethink the ways that high school impacts us and how even after high school, how college impacts us and how we're all lifetime learners and students. So thank you so much for that. That's definitely very intriguing and very a beautiful point of view. And, you know, given that you've run student organizations and been a part of youth organizations that have had an impact, you know, what advice do you have for young people who, you know, are starting the nonprofits or the businesses that are becoming CEOs and podcast hosts, and they have these bodies, but they're unsure how they can make a tangible impact on those around them? Hmm. I would say like definitely separate yourself from the things that you're creating mm. because they're definitely powerful and they're amazing, but there's so much to your personhood than mm. the things that you're able to create. I think that 
this, the, the amazing part of creating is like noticing and acknowledging the power that you have, but also realizing that there's so much of yourself that you need to explore. Like you said about how right out the gate when you're a freshman in high school, like the first thing you're thinking of is like, what is this college list that I'm building? But instead I would implore a lot of creators to think, what person am I becoming? Mm -hmm. And what values do I want to have by the time this this year has passed or this certain number of months and weeks have happened because at the end of the day like that's what we're going to have yeah. you know we may decide to end a podcast or end an organization or pass it on to somebody else and the only thing we'll have left is the lessons that we've learned the stories that we've been able to share and the different perspective shifts that we've had not just for ourselves but about the world mm -hmm. so i would definitely say like take the time to build whatever that you build whatever it is you are creating but don't get too into it to the point where it becomes who you are mm -hmm. because then you'll miss out on i think what the true beauty of life is which is storytelling and learning about other people's stories but also just like existing like especially as a black woman like your existence alone is this incredibly powerful thing and being able to bask in your own company bask in your own joy like it's a very beautiful thing so definitely take a moment to like think about all of the different creations that you're making but also acknowledge that like there's so much to you than the things that you create absolutely thank you so much for that you know as a black woman what have been some unique experiences that you encountered both in the advocacy space and also in academia? I think with academia, there's like this, there's this like very insidious desire from the system to like humble black women or like <laughs> to, I know, like, like it's, a humble black woman, but yeah. also to minimize. So whenever yep. I talk about the different identities and different hats that I wear from being a graphic designer to a podcast host, to a poet, to an author, to all these different things, like people expect me to pick one because they're like, how are you all these different identities at once? And I'm like, you have to realize that me being black and a woman in itself is so intersectional. Exactly. So like my very existence is is rooted in multiplicity and duality. And the second you ask me to choose something, you are trying to rob me of this existence or this person that I'm becoming. And of course you can't, cause I'm not gonna let you, but that I feel like has been a very unique thing to black women. Like people feeling like this isn't the black girl for one thing or like a one-stop shop almost, if mm -hmm. you understand what I'm saying. Like yeah. black women are very versatile, not just in our hairstyles, but in our abilities and the things that we believe and the things that we care about. And I've gotten it like one too many times from people where they're like, why are you doing all these things? And I'm like, why not? Why? Because if I was a white girl or a white person or a non-POC, non like you wouldn't be asking me why I'm doing all of these things. You would just marvel. And that's my, my, my question to them. Why aren't you just marveling exactly. at the things that I want to do instead of asking me to like cut things down or like just pick one? Um, so that's definitely a struggle um, as a black woman, but like, I think being around other black women who are also like existing in general. And when I say that, I mean that because it's like our excellence doesn't come from the things that we've done or the things that we're creating. It's truly in just being here. And I always try to emphasize that to all my black friends and all the black creators that I talk to, like there is power in rest and power in existence. And we are like making change just by being here. And I think the second someone, asks or expects expects either less or more i'm like 
you're not the person who's asking me that. It's, it's only what I am asking myself of. And if, if it changes day by day, like if I'm like, this is my capacity for a certain thing, or I really want to pursue this thing, that's my business. That is my Black girl business and nobody else. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that Black girl business. And I feel like to reflect on that, that really introduced me to two key things. One, Black people, especially Black girls, we are beautifully multifaceted. And the fact that people have the audacity to try to confine that is really just sad. But it also shows a lot about them because why do you care? Let yeah. us breathe. And another thing is that emphasis on just loving yourself and loving the moment. I feel so as a society, we're so indulged in this hustle culture, even myself, that, you know, you got to get this assignment done. You got to get this episode out. You got to do this assignment. You got to do this project, whatever it may be. And we focus so much on the doing. Well, focus so much on the assignment and less on the doing mm -hmm. and more about getting it done and less on the experience. Even in high school, it's more about making it through the finish line instead of embracing yeah. the moments. And I feel as though the COVID-19 pandemic definitely gave us that opportunity to us to slow down and really appreciate the little things because they can be gone in an instant. So exactly. I definitely appreciate that a lot. And, you know, segueing into what you talked about earlier with you having a more pressing concern and advocacy regarding mental health, can you talk to us about what that looks like for you? Yes, of course. I love talking about mental health and mental health and wellness because it's it's like something that I've come to appreciate and acknowledge in the past like two years, but something that has obviously been a big part of my life. It was just like there and I didn't notice. But my freshman spring, I just no, my freshman fall, I decided to take one of the resources that my university has called CAPS mm. and it's like student counseling, essentially therapy. And the way that it works at my school is like, there's no limit on the number of sessions that you have. And I was living on campus my freshman fall and anticipating that because of how tumultuous things were in the world, but also like the fact that I was on my campus, it was basically a ghost town. There weren't many people there that I was going to need this like support space. And it was really helpful that my older sister had been in therapy already at the time, but therapy is definitely something that I talk openly with my friends and my community because like a year ago or even before the pandemic, like it was such a taboo thing and like the, the butt of a lot of jokes, like people are like, oh, like you seem really angry right now, like maybe you should go to therapy. And I think now there's been more of a shift in the conversation of like, why is this the butt of the joke instead of everybody should be going to therapy regardless of what is happening? with their situation. Um, so I'm actually, I've celebrated one year of therapy this past October. Yay. And yes, my anniversary. I'm also known for like celebrating literally everything because why not? Honestly. <laughs> but I am celebrating like a few months now, like, I mean, a year and a few months of therapy. And I do therapy reflections from sessions from time to time. I actually have an episode, this is a sneak peek. Um, <laughs> I have an episode actually coming out soon on the lessons I've learned in therapy for the past year. But genuinely like having that space has made a very big impact, not just on my mental wellness, but in the way that I interact with other people. I've noticed that I'm a lot more empathetic. I try to offer like another dimension of kindness that I don't think that I was taught because like, you know, mental health knowledge in the black community isn't as much given the stigma and reasonably so like the stigma and distrust in the medical community and the medical industry in general and healthcare. Um, but one of the things that I really want to help do is destigmatize healthcare for black people because nice. it can have such a pivotal and generational impact. Um, that was also one of the reasons that I ended up changing my major because yeah. I actually used to be a nursing major before I switched to the College of Arts and Sciences to declare psych. I'm interested in potentially becoming a therapist, Ooh. among other things, when I graduate. 
Um, and I'm currently training to be a peer counselor through Penn Benjamins, which is a peer counseling service on my campus. Um, and honestly, just trying to have and hold space when I have the capacity to for my friends and my community members, especially since I have this immense amount of knowledge from having been in therapy and having had the opportunity and privilege, unfortunately, right now um, to have this space where I can just share and talk about my childhood, talk about my past, talk about my dreams and talk about anything that I could probably like think of in this very open and supportive space. Um, the last thing I'll say on this is that my therapist is a multicultural therapist. And one of the biggest struggles I think that a lot of black people face too is like the shortage, like there aren't a lot of black therapists, um, but there's also multicultural ther therapy that exists. And my therapist, while she isn't a black woman, like has helped me immensely. immensely. And I also understand why a black person would want a black therapist, but that's also something to an open mind to if, if there's a, a POC who is specialized in multicultural therapy or counseling, like that's something to consider because I feel like if I would have written it off from the jump, like, no, if they don't have any like black therapist available, I'm not going to do it. Then I wouldn't be the person that I am today. So, mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of empathizing and not empathizing, extending a lot of empathy to people, but also letting them know that these are resources that exist and telling them about like the powerful benefits that come from it to help further destigmatize getting therapy, getting access to therapy, and when you should be reaching out to therapy. Because I didn't wait until something was wrong to reach out. I just kind of anticipated that I needed this space. But in general, I feel like everybody should have a therapist. Yes. And for, for the viewers that are listening or li well, listeners that are listening, if you take one thing away from this podcast is that go to therapy, even if you're fine, even if things are going left, right, up, down, go get a therapist. I'm going to go find Perfect. a therapist after this. So, thank you, so <laughs> thank you. I'm proud thank of you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think to wrap up our conversation, you know, you really gave the perfect balance of, frankly, what I didn't anticipate from this conversation, you know, talking about your work, but also showing that your work doesn't define who you are and that you are human and embracing the humanity and everyone around you through conversations or just embracing people's existence. So yeah. for conclusion's sake, what advice do you have for young Black girls between balancing that hustle culture, being an intersectional change maker, while also being someone who's able to appreciate the little moments and have a balance between life and their mental health? I would say take two things out of your vocabulary, um, hustle culture and should I yeah. don't use the word should except for right now because I'm explaining yeah, of course. but I do not use the word should in my vocabulary at all mm -hmm. I don't believe that there's anything that I should be doing should have done or shouldn't have done mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it seems like a very small change but it has made like the world of difference for me because it makes me realize the amount of agency that I have over my life not mm -hmm. just in the relationships that I'm building but also in the things that I'm building and the things that I want to do you know like sometimes it's easy to feel like oh I have X number of hours, like I should get this done or I should do this or I should be able to, but it's like, you're, to, you're giving your power away when you say that. And it's like kind of reframing the language to be like, I get to do this or I want to do this or I could do this instead of shaming yourself into yeah. doing something. I think that life is something that should be enjoyed from every sphere. And I just, you should. <laughs> I think that life should be enjoyed like genuinely. And that often means like, noticing where you've been giving your power away and noticing where you can take that ownership and agency back. And then in terms of not using hustle culture anymore, um, mm -hmm. Yvonne Orji, an incredible actress, 
speaker, podcast host, just an amazing woman in general. She's also Nigerian American. Um, she has this quote that um, she said, cause she came to spoke, speak at Penn last semester. And it's like, welcome a life of ease and flow. So trade your hustle and grind for ease and flow. Because I feel like when you're able to acknowledge that like there are definitely things that you cannot control, um, it makes you feel less anxious about the things that are just happening because you, you know, you can't, you can't put a stop to them or they just naturally are occurring the way that they are. And instead makes you focus on the things that you can control and the things that you can affect. And that doesn't mean like we're diminishing any of the horrible things that exist, obviously like systemic racism mm -hmm. and sexism and gender biases. It's acknowledging that there is a community around us, especially as black women, there's this community that exists for us, that it is our generational birthright to rest and to be and to just exist and to find joy and peace in the fact that we're just here and mm -hmm. live in life. Thank you so much for that. And with that, we are very much happy to conclude our episode. Thank you so much for that phenomenal conversation. And for everyone who is listening, feel free to tune in next Wednesday at 3 p.m. to hear another story of a young changemaker as we continue to recreate, innovate, and redefine the narrative. Together, we will tell our story. Thank I you so that. much. <laughs>